Hurry up and get to your seats. We got a high spot in progress. This is the Shooting Pod Press. I am your host, Reynolds. We got a lot of wrestling stuff to cover on this here wrestling podcast. If you haven't listened to it before, basically what we do is we argue competitively over pro wrestling. I decide a winner at the end from the panel. The winner gets a beautiful theoretical championship belt and then gets to cut a promo on whatever they would like. Let's meet our panel tonight, starting with Scott Boken. Scott, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm great, man. Give your Twitter handle out. Twitter handle is Scott, S-C-O-T-M as in Matthew Boken, B-O-K-E-N. All right, then we got James, always on the comeback trail. James, go out. Go ahead and give your Twitter handle out. We're at uh, Billy Kimber, 1990. There we go. Billy Kimber, 1990. And Rob, who I, I think right now is, is you know, he's on some sub- substances, some performance-enhancing <laughs> substances. He has been ready to go since the second he picked up the phone. Rob, go ahead and give that Twitter handle out. That is R-O-B-B-B-B-T-A-T-K-A. Got to say, like, one of the great NWA champions of all time, Double J, Jeff Jarrett, ain't he great? All right, I'm giving, I'm giving points at the bat to Rob <laughs> for just the, the repeated NWA commitment, which is very funny to me. All right, Axe S. Mashman also on the panel. He's got the show Twitter handle, which is? At Shoot Pod Press. There you go. And mine is at IamReynolds2305. We got a lot to get into on this week's show, so let's start it with the opening bell, shall we? I know we got money on the bank, money in the bank, the next on the, on the calendar. But the next really big event that you're starting to see news come in all over the place is SummerSlam, right here in beautiful Las Vegas. My first question to you guys is, what, if anything, are you most excited for for SummerSlam? Whether it be, because there's, there's talk of it, trying to make it WrestleMania. Is it, you know, again, large-scale fans? Is it, you know, being here in Vegas? Is it big returns, like theoretically Becky Lynch? Celebrity involvements, like maybe Cardi B? Does any of that get you excited because I think all of you had mentioned that you're excited, not excited, but you know, wanting to go to the show and I'm like the lone holdout. Scott, I'll start with you. Cause I know you bought tickets already. What are you excited about most for SummerSlam? Yeah. Aside from the fact that I am going to be there in lovely Las Vegas, I'm excited about a full house in, and specifically in Vegas. Uh, it's first major pay-per-view with a full house. Uh, Vegas is a good WWE town. Fans are excited to get back. And, and like you said, there's supposed to be some star power. Uh, so it should be a really loud crowd the way it should be. All sorts of rumors, Cena, Lesnar, The Fiend, Becky Lynch, you know, all of that could be big and could provide the pops that you want to hear at a pay-per-view. So Vince could be pulling out all the stops as he should. Hopefully me and the other 50,000 or so people are not disappointed. Mm, I, that's, not a, that's not a good track record right now. I will, I will say this one thing before we pivot around. WrestleMania crowd was not up. They, you know, you would think that they would be excited. That was the first big event. That was the first event with live fans. It was WrestleMania, and they lost them pretty quick. Like that, there was not. And I think the acts you and I have had this argument about it being outside in the stadium, somewhat of the rain. I don't think it was any of that. That crowd was bored, and I, I don't see it changing for SummerSlam. I still, real quickly, want to interject that I think not having that international flavor mattered because they're they get hyped about everything more than Americans do. Fair, that's a fair opinion. James, what are you excited about for SummerSlam, if anything? Well, the number one thing, of course, being the Las Vegas native and being in my hometown. 
and I, and I really think it's a chance to have a, a passing of a torch moment at this event. I think we, if they do it right, they can book it to where we get a clear indication on who they really feel the future of this company can be. So I, those two things are, and as far as matches, uh, I'm really interested in what they do with romance. So that's the main thing I'm wanting to see who they have uh, Uncle Roman go against. Just call him Uncle Roman? Old, old Goat Roman. Old Goat Roman. Okay, sorry. Your phone's been uh, real chappy there. So <laughs> I, was, I heard Uncle Roman, and I was like, I, I don't, maybe there's familial ties for James and Roman Reigns. I'm not sure. All right, Rob. <laughs> for, for me, the most important thing about this is SummerSlam, and I'm pumped for this, is going to be ran for the first time in a football stadium since 1992 at Wembley Stadium. If it's supposed to be the second biggest pay-per-view because it comes, you know, after WrestleMania, they want that WrestleMania feel. They've been running uh, fan accesses in the past around SummerSlam. This is really going to be the, a good time to see, okay, we'll get all the people in there. Let's give it that WrestleMania feel. You know, when it comes to the big four pay-per-views, the Royal Rumble has had that uh, moving into baseball stadiums as of late, as long as there's a retractable roof. And they've also been in the uh, Alamo Dome a few times. So, for this, it's all about turning this this event into a WrestleMania style, you know, event itself. And if they can add more and more things to it, hey, it, it's going to be a whole lot better. You know, seventy thousand people in there at Allegiant Stadium. It's you know whether or not you and, and Axe touched on this, the international flavor. No, I don't think we're going to have that. But you're still going to have seventy thousand people in there. And that's just going to be, you know, WWE's tip of the cap because they're going to say, hey, we did this. And when you compare it to other organizations trying to get back where they're not, you know, running those big events, WWE is always going to get that, that amount in there. So it really it has nothing to do with any of the matches, any of the uh, wrestlers or superstars that will be back. It's just that you have what is one of my favorite pay-per-views going to be in where it should have been for at least the past, 10 years because they've ran Staples Center so many times in an actual football stadium and just get that, that wow factor. So for you, it's the, it's the atmosphere of, of being able yeah. to get that many people in the stadium. Like you said, kind of like WrestleMania. Let me ask you this then, Rob, if the, the creative is terrible and you get more like Alexa bliss voodoo and zombies, is it still worth it for you? Like if, if the 70,000 people are just kind of like mocking and booing, like, is that fun for you as well or no? It, you know what it is? It's just part of the it's part of the crowd atmosphere. You know these. I said I'm done with WWE. I'm done with WWE. I'm not going to go to a event. All of a sudden they announce it's going to be a Legion Stadium. Boom! I want to go because it's still WWE. You want to say that you went to these events. I've never been to a SummerSlam. 1994 SummerSlam was at the United Center, the first time that there was an actual sporting event in United Center. This is going to be the first sporting event with a crowd in Allegiant Stadium. So that's something they're going to tip their hat on to. It's just to say that you were there. If someone ever asked you, hey, did you ever go to that one? Yes, I did. Terrible event. But I was there. And I actually, you know, I have no problem saying that I went there. That's funny. That's exactly what James said when he went to an NWA show. <laughs> I, I, I do remember hearing that. And someone's <laughs> also said that about, about Ring of Honor as well. <laughs> you I, know. Go ahead, James. Oh, no, no. AB and Robert Nelson. Do any better? I, I, I don't. I, we might have to boot James here. The, the, the phone <laughs> has been brutal here. Uh, there, there. 
I just want to touch on one thing. There's one thing that you have to see or worry about in terms of getting people in. On that same day, you're going to have the Errol Spence Manny Pacquiao fight that's going to happen over at the MGM Grand. I don't know how much it's going to take away from the actual wrestling fan that would want to go there because definitely kids will go to SummerSlam with their families. But that different type of, okay, could you get certain celebrities in for one over the other? It's going to be a nice little test here because you always see a lot of companies don't run up against WWE. Look at UFC up against WrestleMania. They chose to start their card at 10 in the morning, West Coast time. So it's a it's a big test there for uh, Manny Pacquiao's group, which is uh, Fox uh, pay-per-view, taking the opportunity to run against SummerSlam. Since we went there, I, I think I heard a thing about how if you want to go to the Manny Pacquiao fight, SummerSlam will be over. So yeah, I think that that matters to like, certain people. It'll be like when UFC uh, when UFC cards end just before a big fight, like Canelo or something like that. Like it's mm-hmm. the, it's what I hear is the same plan, and I, I can't imagine. That, I mean, WWE as bad and as as much criticism as they get warranted, uh, I I cannot believe would not have that uh, planned or accounted for mm. going on. So I do think that they are allowing for the the older adult crowd that would want to check out that fight. Rob did bring up something interesting there of. You know, celebrities that maybe might be in town to check out that fight. Maybe WWE throws something a little bit their way to come over and, and be involved in SummerSlam. I, if that works for you, great. It doesn't really work for me. I have my own thoughts on this, and I'll get to them in a second because I want to hear from Axe now. Um, SummerSlam. Uh, you are you, you going to do a poem? What was I, that? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like the idea of it being in a football stadium. I've always kind of felt like they needed a secondary show that had that kind of WrestleMania feel. So I definitely appreciate the effort. I definitely appreciate the idea that they're going to bring all these guys back. I think Cena Roman is fun and interesting. Um, not from a result standpoint. I just don't think Cena could win. But I think build up and all that kind of stuff will be fun to watch. Uh, and God knows the weekly shows need fun build up to watch. Um, I, I, I kind of want to go just because, you know, I'll give you hell in a cell as an example, right? I do myself a good favor and not try to watch as much raw and SmackDown as possible. So I go and try to watch the bits that might matter if they sound like they were interesting or good, which, you know, usually means I don't watch anything. <laughs> um, and I, and in a weird way, I enjoyed hell in a cell. I think because of that, I, I was more focused on just the talent in the ring and just how their match went versus like, how am I invested in this story? So in a weird way, like WWE is better when you're not watching those shows because you're not, they're not creating detriment to their, to their own wrestlers. Um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately like SummerSlam will, will, will have a great feel. And if they do bring these big names back, I think you, you have something with that and it will create a little bit of buzz and probably maybe a raise in numbers a little bit, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's something they, they care that much about anymore. Hey, I got, I gotta be honest with you guys. I, I can't get there. This this product is so bad right now. <laughs> it is so damn bad. And and I I try to stay objective. I don't go into these shows looking to kill it like I think some people that I that I see on social media do. But I it's just Hell in a Cell I thought was a decent show because I thought there was some really good wrestling on it. Some dumb finishes. But I thought for the most part was a pretty good show. And then the the Raw last night I, I thought was absolutely terrible. You can't have and I'll give you an example of Piper Niven shows up with Ava Marie the week before and is her adoring fan, right? Happy to wrestle the match for a ridiculous hug. You know, she's doing kind of like a Mickey James, Trish Stratus thing, right? And then the next week, Ava Marie, in an interview, 
when they're about to give her the name and she's trying to say Piper and she says Dewdrop. And then Ava Marie, or not Ava Marie, uh, Piper Niven is all like mopey faced and, and whatnot. Like you can't have that drastic character change with no backstory behind it. It is one of the things I criticized about the Brit Reba dynamic in, in AEW for a while was that Reba was sometimes like super supportive and another time she was like, you know, this bitch right here. So it's like constant stuff with that where they just flip the character alignments because they don't really know where they're going. And that makes this such a horrendous show to watch. Just constantly spitting in the fans' face like, hey, you think you know what we're doing? No, you don't because we don't know what we're doing. You know, we're that far <laughs> ahead of you. And it's just, it's it's so, I, I don't care how many people you put in the building. That's not fun to me. To, the, to then sit around and, and, and turn to somebody and be like, yeah, that was stupid, right? Yeah, yeah I can't wait for another four hours of this. <laughs> like, I, I just, I'm so burnt out on, on watching this crap, like, over and over again. And, and I have, like, financial investment to do it. If I didn't, no shot in my doing this. That's the only reason you should be watching these shows. If you're watching these willingly and not getting any kind of compensation for it, uh, right now you need to go get mental help. Because that is a problem. Like, it is so damn bad. Minus, like, the Roman story on SmackDown has been, even that kind of floundered a little bit, but they've re, uh, reinvigorated it with the Jimmy Uso stuff. You know, there, there's pockets where, like, RK Bro is actually not, not a bad story. But I would say 95% of it is absolutely horrendous, and you can't get me in the building to support that. Not even a free ticket. Like, I... I'm trying to think of what you would have to do to kind of get me in that building. Like I, I was saying to Axe before the show, I'd go to TakeOver, and I'm not that high on, on NXT right now. I think they're struggling to find themselves. But it, for Raw or SmackDown, for a main roster pay-per-view show, I don't care who you bring back. You know, Becky Lynch coming back? Great. That's not going to change anything. Stories still suck. Like, I, I, I keep seeing that over and over again. You know, oh, John Cena's going to be here, and Becky Lynch, it's going to get better. Why? The core of the problem is wrong. And I've said this before, the Browns sucked for years because management was bad. How many quarterbacks did they run through? How many number one draft picks? Did that change anything? No, because the system sucked. That's what WWE is. So I, I cannot get there with you guys on, on being excited to watch the show. I want to hear more from Scott about, you know, purchasing the ticket because he got the travel package. Again, another WrestleMania feel to it. You know, if it was... You're from Florida, man. If it was in Florida, if it was in your backyard, would you still go to it? Or is Vegas the the destination part of it that helps put it over for you? Uh, for me, the destination part of it is big. I mean, Vegas, like I said, is a good WWE town. It's, it's a big feel event. Uh, so I, I think that's part of it. If it were in Florida, in Miami, like if they put it at Dolphin Stadium, uh, I'd probably go, but I wouldn't be as excited. Uh, I, I mean, I love Vegas. So the destination is a big part of it for me. It is true. Scott loves Vegas. I, I know. I've seen it. I, I, <laughs> he was very excited when he was here a few weeks ago. <laughs> Came from the pool to have lunch and then went right he, back to the pool. Couldn't wait to go back to the pool. Yeah, man's a partier. He's a rager. He's the Rick Boogs of this show. <laughs> Vegas yeah. is my happy place, gentlemen. <laughs> Bokenhagen. Oh, that's, that's good. That's that's new. That's the new nickname. I'll tell you, I Vegas is great. As, as somebody that spent two weeks not in Vegas right here, I I cannot, I don't feel like I function right when I'm not in Vegas. I love this city, man. My, my favorite city in the world is New York City, always will be. But I, you know, number two is Las Vegas. I absolutely love this place. I hate being away from it. 
I <laughs> don't like being in Wyoming, which is <laughs> where I got stuck for the last two. Which, by the way, doing working at a rodeo and watching steer wrestling, you know what that is? They just do swinging no. neck breakers to steer the entire time. <laughs> I'm just watching everybody do honky tonk man's finish in like less and less time. It was it was it wasn't fun. They don't have the same pageantry. All right, we kind of touched on some of this with you know with the big four pay per views where it's slotted. And, you know, it was SummerSlam was the third pay per view. You have WrestleMania, then Survivor Series, then SummerSlam was created. Royal Rumble was the last of the four. Where does SummerSlam rank for you guys? Among the big four pay-per-views, one through four. Rob, we're starting with you. For me, it's actually the second biggest pay-per-view that I care about when it came to the big four. The Royal Rumble was the first one just because of that whole Royal Rumble concept. Because all that, you know, the big the big match itself. But SummerSlam, it was always the one for whatever reason. We didn't grow up with cable in my family. We always went to our neighbor for the pay-per-view. SummerSlam was the one that we got every single year. It was always for us the day before the first day of school. So it was sort of like that treat that it was the end of the um, end of the summer for us. So it's just, for me, a lot of memories with it because I think there's just a lot of really good matches people forget about. And also good storylines that, you know, may have continued from WrestleMania or we had started new ones from WrestleMania and it's now it's starting to move on into it. So, you know, for me, like I said, SummerSlam, second most important one to it. I think WrestleMania especially has just become overhyped and it's just the fact that, oh, it's WrestleMania now. But SummerSlam, you still always used to get some good matches, good blow-offs, and, you know, just catch you going into the fall with the next uh, round of storyline. Yeah, you know, it's a fair enough opinion. I do like the fact, uh, I'm going to give him credit for this, is that he said he didn't get the pay-per-views as a kid. I didn't either. My cousin did. So that's how I watched them. If I didn't watch them, I'd go to Blockbuster on VHS or something like that. So I, I could I could see where you're coming from on that. Axe, where does it rank for you? Huh. This is tough. Like, I, I don't even really... First of all, I don't think there is a big four anymore. Survivor Series is usually just trash. Um, it's the battle for brand supremacy. Uh, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's so bad. I mean, if there was a purpose to it, I'd be, I'd be all on board. But I, I prefer kind of like the older Survivor Series. But even those were kind of... They ran their course, so I think they really didn't know what else to do. Yeah, by, um, by 1991, I think they were. A bit yeah, worse. like you didn't want to watch the you know five on five with all these jobbers. Like it didn't really matter. Um, if for me, like I, I think honestly, like Money in the Bank um, has risen for me to number two, mm. uh, which puts the Rumble at three, and then um, SummerSlam would be four. Wait a minute, so WrestleMania, WrestleMania is one, one. yeah, because okay, so I thought Rumble was number one for you. No, I the. the the way that they've done it the last couple of years, the booking and just it's it seems like a it seems like kind of a shell of what what it once was. I, mm. I feel like it's it's too like like a guy comes in and hits his finisher on four guys, or then you know the next guy comes in and he does five moves, and it, the pattern just is getting really old to me. Like I I don't know. I feel like that that's a match that they really need to freshen up a bit. Credit to you on that because yeah, that's that's a good point. Is it's almost like a like a sitcom character comes in, you know, like here's the hurricane to do a <laughs> exactly. weird thing for 45 seconds. Yep. You know, yeah, it, it, it does get a little bit stale. I will say they had a good pattern, the Royal Rumble that is, from like 2017 to 2019. Like 2017 to 2018 uh, were really good. 2016 wasn't bad. That was the Roman defense, the title Rumble, mm, the yeah. debut of AJ Styles, which they missed with the camera production. 
Nice job, Kevin Dunn. Don't get me started on that either. That <laughs> freaking kills me to this day. Reigns is squinting. Like, come on, man. Like, I want to see walking out, for God's sake. But 17, 17 and 18 were good. 17 was the one Randy Orton won, uh, 2017. I was at the one where AJ debuted. I had a great view of it, but the cameras didn't. Yeah. I, I, oh, I missed a flight for that, guys. I was in. I had to do a, I was doing a thing at the Performance Center. And uh, when I, I got back to my buddy's place that I was staying. I had a flight on Sunday. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I booked the flight. And then I was like, I'm, Ray J. Styles is going to be in the Royal Rumble. Like, I was 95% sure. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm not making this flight. I cost myself a couple hundred bucks and having to, <laughs> to do, uh, what is that, standby on the way back? That's what a nerd I am. But, uh, yeah, 17 was Orton, which was a really good rumble. And then 18 was uh, Shinsuke's win. And that was the one where they had teased AJ and Shinsuke at the TLC pay-per-view. And I remember buying WrestleMania tickets just on that. Mm. And then when Shinsuke won it, I felt validated because I was going to be like, oh, I swear to God, if I have to go to the show and I don't get AJ Shinsuke, I'm going to be furious. And then 19 was, uh, we were there for that one, me and you, Axe. I don't remember. Scott, were you there or no? Uh, uh, let's see, where was it? Uh, Chase No, Field? I was not in Arizona. I was, no. Uh, yes, actually, yes. We were at that one. By the way, in our, text, no, we were, yeah, in our text chain, Scott and I realized that we were kind of sitting very close to each other for uh, WrestleMania 34 without even knowing who we were. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah, we that were probably, rumble. what, a couple, couple rows away from each other? Yeah, I, I, we were sitting, uh, based on the pictures that you sent over, we were sitting uh, real close in the same section. You, I think you might have been a little bit behind me. But, uh, yeah, that, that 2019 Rumble, what was the thing you didn't like about it? I, I didn't like it at all. I, and I'm a, I'm a big Rollins guy, and yeah. I, I felt like it was just built up terribly like that towards the ending. It was too long. The show was too long. It, that's a big part of it, too. I also felt like the way they got Becky Lynch in the Rumble was just so, like, boring. All right, look. I would have liked to have seen that been yeah. better. We're talking, we're talking SummerSlam, but we're getting right, a little yeah. bit sidetracked yeah, by Royal yeah, Rumble, which I, is, is fine. <laughs> but, like, I will say the one thing on the Becky thing. In the moment, the moment was awesome. Because the plays, people were jacked for it. And they just wanted to see her get in there. Yeah. I'm with you. Afterwards. Could have been bigger. Yeah, af- yeah. Afterwards, I was like, they screwed that up. Like, it was, it was really poorly done. What they, uh, I think Bully Ray might have said it. Where he was like, Nia Jax took her spot in the men's rumble. Becky asked. Yeah. You know, Becky shouldn't be asking, you know? Like, and th- that, that whole thing, like, r- really kind of blew it. And it, in the moment, it was, it was okay. But you're right. It could have been bigger. And then, yeah, the, the Rollins thing is just, it, by that time, people were exhausted. You know, I just wanted to leave at that point in time. But but back to SummerSlam and, and the rankings. We haven't heard from James. Where does it rank for you? James, by the way, if your phone sucks on this one, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to boot you, buddy. <laughs> uh, well, I'm putting it there. Does that meet your quality standards, Mr. Quality Control? Uh, no, sorry, bro. <laughs> like, I... I love to hear from you, man, because you have like you have some uh, some really good stuff. But we gotta we gotta boot you tonight, man. The, the, the call is just not gonna make it. So have a good one, man. All right, we're moving on. <laughs> Let's and see. And he's been DQ'd by Reynolds. <laughs> Axe, you got yours in. God, I don't know. Did we get well, your ranking on that? I don't. Remember. Not yet. Not okay. yet. Let's go for me, Scott. for me, it, for me, it ranks third. Um, and I think the fact that we have just been distracted by the rumble. Uh, our discussion went to the Rumble. Shows how the Rumble has has taken over for, as the number two show. I mean, Mania you still have as number one. Uh, I I like the Rumble. There's usually some good build up, and it you know there's I like the people coming back. You know, debuts like AJ Styles, like we talked about, and it starts the road to WrestleMania. Uh, so I I would put SummerSlam, despite 
you know, it does have some, usually has some storylines uh, going into the major feuds, but I don't know as, if they'll have a lot of buildup this year because WWE really doesn't do a lot of buildup anymore. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a firm number three behind Mania and the Rumble. I find it interesting that everybody still has Mania number one. Because to me, I, I mean, I think Rumble's right there with it. Just because even with, like you said, Axe, it being a little bit stale, it's still, you know, you got 30 people running through. It's fresh enough. It keeps the show moving. And you get two of those now. And they've done a better job the last few years, I think, of, well, the Drew McIntyre one, which I wasn't necessarily a fan with at first, was an awesome story of the match. I lo- Like, that rumble I thought was really yeah. good. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Because it was unique because they had the Lesnar thing. And, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that was a yeah. story of two matches. But right. it, they've done a better job, particularly in the pandemic era, of shortening these shows. Because they were... I mean, they were doing like seven and a half, yeah. eight hours if you count like Brutal. pre-show and stuff. Yeah. And that's exhausting, even for like people that love this stuff like us. You know, but I mean, what, Hell in a Cell was uh, two and a half, three hours, whatever it was, right? Royal Rumble, I think this year might have been three and a half, four, somewhere like that. That's fine for a big enough event mm. like that, you know? And But WrestleMania is just, I think, kind of got out of control and, and, and lost some of its specialness. It, it feels more corporate now, where like the Royal Rumble feels... No, less less sterile, mm. I guess I'll say. You know what I mean? Like, so I think WrestleMania, it, you know, it has its cachet. It's like the Super Bowl. You know, like you're like, all right, even casuals might sit down and watch it. But I think the I think the Royal Rumble is better for me. You know, when they when they keep enough moving through it, SummerSlam for me, I think would probably be four. Even with the you know we mock on Survivor Series, I like the multi-person matches because I like being able to tie together a bunch of different stories. You know, like, it's just like you get, it's a, it's like a variety show matches for the most part. And I think what they did, like, when they started doing Battle for Brand Supremacy, which I think was like 2016 or so or something like that, the, the men's match that, the way they got to eliminations of using James Ellsworth to get rid of Braun Strowman, I thought was fantastic. So I think it still has some of those elements in there. So if I if I were ranking, it probably goes Rumble, Mania, Survivor Series, SummerSlam. Like I just, I don't know. Like the the biggest party of the summer is worn thin to me. I'm also not a fan of parties, <laughs> so maybe that's on me. <laughs> or fun. Oh, yeah. there's that. <laughs> yeah, so we could take it to that. All right, last thing on this, and and we're kind of keeping this SummerSlam centric for a couple reasons here. Just kind of clue listeners in. Uh, I think the product sucks. And and I don't want to rehash a lot of things from Raw. We can bring it up within the scope of other conversations. But I don't want to spend specific topics on it because I just find it to be too much of a bummer. So I wanted to kind of go like more, you know, personal memories and attachments to SummerSlam in this, in this opening segment before we get to some more of the fun uh, visionary booking stuff. That is the hallmark of this show. But on that topic, though... And I already, I'm going to start with Rob on this because I'm pretty sure I know what his match is going to be. But favorite SummerSlam match of all time. Rob, prove me right. Well, I don't know how. I see, okay, I'm just going to say it. 1991 Intercontinental title match, Bret Hart against Mr. Perfect. Uh, there is no Bret Hart as a single star if it's not that match. And you got to give Kurt Henning a ton of credit going in there with the injury that he had on his back had not been wrestling up until that point um go in there and they throw together a a match like no other 
where the people at Madison Square Garden are just glued in, locked into it the entire time. There's only one thing that hurts the entire match of it is that Bobby the Brain Heenan is on commentary and not in Mr. Perfect's corner. You have the coach who is with Mr. Perfect there. It kind of made zero sense. Um, it would have been more beneficial to have Heenan in Perfect's corner. But that match, you know, alone, that started the, the Bret Hart singles run in WWE that lasted all the way through 1997. You know what? That's the exact match. Like, I was, I was so confident that that was the match he was going to pick because, like, Rob has nonstop been vocal about his love for Bret Hart and particularly that match when we're texting each other. So I was like, I was pretty sure that's where it was going to go. I will say. I know I know a lot of people love 92 against the Bulldog. And you know what? It, that, that's the match that got Brett the world title. Um, because, like everyone says right away, you know, Davey Boy Smith, the moment they locked up, you know, I forgot everything. And Brett carried him the entire way. And it was a very, very, very long match, much longer than what he had against Perfect or anybody up until that point. Um, but just you don't get to that match if you don't get Brett against Perfect, two of the best in-ring technicians ever starting off there at Madison Square Garden. Because that's the thing. At that time, Bret Hart was told back in 1984, it's in his book, you're not a big enough name to even wrestle here. And then all of a sudden, he's winning his first singles championship at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, the th- thing I was going to say before Rob got super excited about 92 SummerSlam was the great thing about Bobby Heenan on commentary for that 91 match, though, was that he added so much to it. Just being, you know, being traditional Bobby Heenan heel, right? But, like, Brett lands on the outside at one spot during the match and then jumps back in, and Heenan's the guy that calls attention to it, goes, he paid no attention to the coach. He is focused. He is, and he sold it so much. And then my other favorite part from Heenan in that match is he goes, don't, don't, don't hit the ref perfect, or whatever like that. And then Monsoon goes, Why? He keeps the belt if he just gets disqualified, and then he just goes, "All right, nail him." <laughs> Classic. God, wouldn't it be great if commentary was like that? Oh, don't don't get me started. <laughs> I've been trying to avoid those rants; they drive me nuts. I had yes. to listen to Vic Joseph. Oh, just steer, steer. Ter- terrible on NXT tonight. <laughs> I'm going to ask Rob this. It's going to be a derivation of the SummerSlam question here, though. Better Bret Hart, Mister Perfect match, '91 SummerSlam or '93 King of the Ring. Man, 93 King of the Ring is a hell of a match because that whole storyline for Brett is that he couldn't use the sharpshooter to win any match. So they put, even their, their little interview um, ahead of time with me, Gene Okerlund, where it was, you know, my dad's better than your dad. And going out there that match and the way that they just, it was shorter. So that's why I'd, I'd go with the SummerSlam match because obviously you don't get as much time if you're in a, a tournament scenario. Um, but yeah, you can't. I mean, that's, that King of the Ring match is just absolutely amazing as well. I it love, just shows just how yeah. good just how good Bret Hart is. I mean, that's I know there's a lot of people who love Shawn Michaels, and I get it. You know, you love all the little high flying stuff, and you know, I'm a sexy boy, and all that BS. But Bret Hart was like he was real, man, and he came out there, he just felt it like every time. It's like this is why he is the best. His matches just told the story every single time in that ring. Rob, yeah, Shawn's still better. <laughs> <laughs> You can you can you can love Shawn Michaels all you want, but I do remember in our texting chain, hey, is there any wrestler that as uh, we've gotten older, you've lost more respect for than than uh, anyone? And I mean, I think it was Reynolds who said Shawn Michaels. That's correct. I did say that. By the <laughs> way, I'm giving points to Scott for the great burn on the end of that. <laughs> 
No, that ninety three, <laughs> that ninety three King of the Ring match was uh, phenomenal. I, I think it actually is better than the ninety one SummerSlam match. Both are, are fantastic. But one of the things I love about that ninety three King of the Ring match is Savage is on commentary, and as soon as he gets in, like he jumps in the ring because he's that amped up for those guys, and he, he's like you know hugging and shaking hands like that. That thing, even though to Rob's point that it was shorter because it was tournament based, they made everything everything means something. Not that they didn't, you know, to the same extent in, in 91, but I mean, it was like so much more crisp. And I think a lot of that probably had to do that Mr. Perfect was a lot healthier at that point in time. Let's move along with favorite, favorite SummerSlam matches here. Scott, you had a great burn. You're up next. And based on that burn, no surprise that my favorite match involves Shawn Michaels. Uh, it's against Triple H in 2002 and he came back from four years away. Didn't miss a beat. It was a great storyline, a great match. And, it, you know, it had a post-match beatdown to keep the story going, which led to more pay-per-view matches. It was just, you know, everything that Shawn Michaels, you know, you like about him. He came back like he didn't miss a beat, and he was gone four years. So, for me, that's my favorite match. Is that the one where he's wearing jeans and he wins with the jackknife cover? Yep. Yeah. Yep, it was. It was, it was in the old barn, the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, and... Uh, he, yeah, it was, a, it was a non-sanctioned street fight, and he won it with the jackknife, and then Triple H hit him with the sledgehammer at the end to continue the rivalry. Okay, I vaguely remember that, because like, I wasn't watching a whole lot then, but I, I, I think I watched that one when I was coming back from Afghanistan. We were on like a stopover, and there was like a lot of, uh, you know, like a, a lot of time to get the travel back. So they, they had like a lot of these burnt movies, and one of them was like 2002 SummerSlam. I was like, this should kill some time. I have no idea what's going on, and I watched that match. It was all right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't because I wasn't. I didn't have that same build to it coming in, and uh, and I wasn't as attached at that point in time. So that probably hurt a little bit. But uh, I don't know. I think that's a good pick for for Scott. And he's you know an unabashed Shawn Michaels fan, so that's fine. Axe, what do you got? So uh, oddly enough, I think my favorite SummerSlam match is from the same card. It just happens to be the main event between Brock Lesnar and The Rock. Now, is that really is that it? I love I love that match. Yeah, okay. Absolutely love that match. It to me that that is that's like classic WWF. It's it's Hogan, Andre, two of the biggest stars, the biggest peaks of their other run. Lesnar's on this tear where he's undefeated as, as a rookie and ends up beating the guy to win the championship. And I was a huge Lesnar guy. Huge like from the day he showed up on the show. The Rock was my guy. He's the guy that got me back into wrestling. And so, like, for me to go, like, I'm cool with Lesnar beating this guy because that's how much I thought that guy was just such a freak. And um, and just, like, that that was, I mean, obviously, I think the best version of Lesnar as far as in-ring. Um, and I think that match, if you go back and watch it, I mean, I think it's it's it, it holds up really well. It's a really good match. The crowd's amped. They're into it. And that's coming off a really solid uh, Shawn Michaels-Triple H match, arguably, you know, their best match maybe they ever had kind of thing. Um, and what's awesome is if you is, go back does and Brock win the title on that one, he does. Okay. Yeah. Um, he did. Yep. What, what's crazy too, is I honestly think this is the best SummerSlam of all time. Cause you have those two matches. This listen to the rest of this card, Kurt Angle, Rey Mysterio, Ric Flair, Chris Jericho, edge, Eddie Guerrero, the un-Americans, Christian and Lance Storm versus Booker T and gold dust, Rob Van Dam versus Chris Benoit, Undertaker versus Test. You can throw that one out, but <laughs> I mean that is a card, man. Like that's that's pretty solid card. That's a good lineup. Yeah, just uh, just on quality alone, and you know, 
Hey, a Lance Storm mention for me. I'm going to give credit to the tax <laughs> on that because I'm a big Lance Storm guy. I think very underappreciated. I think he's getting a lot more respect now for his coaching abilities and stuff. But, I mean, God, was that guy so good. I wish I wish WWE would have done more with him. It was like an Intercontinental Championship run or, or, or something like that. I, I think he he is somebody that deserved it and could have done like a great run to make that just, you know, the, that workhorse title that people always talk about. Mm. Uh, so good. Except for the fact that he has a personality of a doorknob. <laughs> oh, I'm taking points away now. I'm taking points away. He made Reynolds, that work for him, Scott. Reynolds loves those like guys who are total technicians but aren't exactly uh... – Massive promo cutters. Like I do. Dean I, Malenko. I do love Matt wrestling. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kyle O'Reilly Kushida from NXT tonight was really, really good. Um, if you take away commentary because they have no idea what they're seeing. <laughs> like, I, I'm telling you, if you guys watch the match, yeah. and and I don't know, I'm, I'm, the sensibility, I'm still kind of getting to know you guys on, on, on stuff that you like. But for me, I, I mean, like the, the Matt wrestling element, uh, to kind of what to Rob's point on Bret Hart of, of making everything mean something and it looking real that goes so much longer for or so much better for me as the real portrayal of like when you're l- lacing things together as if it were a real fight and and O'Reilly and Kushida did some of the best transitions I've ever seen in a pro wrestling match I, I jokingly said it but it, I, it's true it was better as an MMA match than that Wardlow Jake Hager thing from from Dynamite last Friday which just as a real quick thing if you're gonna do an MMA fight why why would you not at least do a good one like, they did, like, a legitimate, like, they were like, hey, look, it's so real. And they got the presentation. It looked like a real thing. But they did, like, a crappy UFC prelim heavyweight fight between guys that don't belong in the cage. And I was like, what the? What? Well, it's in the same wheelhouse then, right? Yeah, because I mean, Hager's not that good. <laughs> but, like, I was like, what are you doing? Like, why would you, why would that be the, the template you copy? And then you open the show with it. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off on a rant there, and Rob's going to get upset because he loves everything Tony Khan does. Well, well, I just want to say this, you know, Scott, you're all hyping up about Shawn Michaels here, but when we talk about Bret Hart, Kevin Nash has been asked before, you know, the best uh, opponent or his best matches, they're all against Bret Hart. And it wasn't his best friend, Shawn Michaels, you know, making him look good out there. In fact, WrestleMania 11, I'd say Shawn Michaels made Kevin Nash look like trash. But man, you watch Royal Rumble 95. King of the Ring 94, you just put it on mute because our Donovan, how big is this guy? How much does he weigh? <laughs> or even Survivor Series 95, which uh, is a, they're, they're, they're best of three. Bret Hart probably you know? wrote him a check. That's all Kevin oh, Nash wants is cash. <laughs> oh, come on. Bret Hart's right, not writing anybody a check. I'll tell you that much right now. If it is, if it has to yeah. do with his boosting his ego, I guarantee you he'll write a check. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Bret, Bret Hart, I think, is a very uh, cheap man, just like Owen was. He, oh, he definitely was. Um, <laughs> or is, I should say. And, and I just want to also point out to the 1991 SummerSlam. I know you guys, very big with 2002, very good card. 91, one thing people forget, that's about the time that Ric Flair was coming into WWF. And there's a spot in the match where uh, Bobby Heenan, I want to say it was in the Natural Disasters Bushwhackers match, he just gets up and leaves commentary. And he has the, the real World Heavyweight Championship. And he knocks on Hulk Hogan's dressing room door it says on behalf of the real world heavyweight champion rick flair we issue a challenge and hogan slams the door in his face and it that that was something that's a little bit of a changing of the guard right there people forget about you were warriors leaving he's fired at the end of the night and now you got flair sliding in there and it all of a sudden is going to become hey are we going to get that hogan flair uh so you start off with hyper flair but 
you know, it, it's a little bit of the change there in WWF at that time about who are, are going to be some of the bigger guys on the, on the roster. I credit to Rob for, for bringing that up because that was a, a fun moment from that, you know, another great Heenan spot, uh, something that was small moment on the card, but signa, signaled a, a big change on the way, even though we ended up not being able to get that match until uh, Hogan went to WCW and what was that, 94, I think. So and then, and and then when he got back to the commentary table, you know, Gorilla asked him, "Hey, your hands are all green. You know what's going on there?" Which, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I thought that title was quite ugly. So, but I do, I do like that. There's a rivalry now budding between the Bret Hart fan and the Shawn Michaels fan on this show. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's very fun for me to watch. So It'll like, lead to a 60 minute Iron Man match. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to go 60. We're not going to get an overtime in there. I don't want Gorilla Monsoon saying there must be a winner, and he's that garbage. <laughs> I can't wait to hear Scott one day go, Rob screwed Rob. <laughs> I hope he does that tonight if he wins right now. <laughs> By the way, I 60 minute Iron Man match, uh, Josh Alexander and TJP. I think I might've brought it up before. It's worth checking out if you guys haven't seen it. Nice. Uh, it was a really solid wrestling match. Obviously not to the same standard of Sean and Brett, but it's, it was still very good for 60 minutes. Summer favorite SummerSlam match of all time. For, for me, I was like, when I threw this question out to you guys, I started trying to think about my own. And I, I was like, man, I don't know. From like, oh, from oh two to probably like fourteen, I haven't really watched. So there's there's probably a lot that I'm missing of, of like big blowoffs. Like I think Eddie Ray had a ladder match somewhere around there for custody of Dominic or whatever. <laughs> you know, so there was like a lot of stuff that I that I missed in that. So I was I was trying to go back and because I I have a real fondness for the the early editions, particularly that first one. Because the the stuff that made me love this was '88 SummerSlam, '88 uh, Survivor Series, WrestleMania Five. You know the whole Mega Powers formation and then implosion storyline. So '88 SummerSlam, I could almost I could almost go match for match uh, for where it is on the card just off memory. And one of my favorites, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately because I watched that Dark Side of the Ring on Dynamite Kid. But the opening match of the Bulldogs versus the Rujos is such an awesome tag team match. And, and it's it's a 20-minute draw, and they do one of the best. I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. They do one of the best, like, you know, the whole spot where good guy's in trouble, good guy's in trouble, good guy's in trouble. He finally makes the tag, but the referee doesn't see it, so they do that whole delay thing. It's one of the best versions that you will ever see. Like, Dynamite's in so much trouble. He can't get to Davy Boy. Finally, it's uh, Jacques has him in, the, in a front headlock. And Dynamite's like trying to power him back, power him back. And then finally gets there. And then Ray comes in from the other side. Referee goes to put him away. Tag made, kicked out. And then like MSG is just like, oh, referee, where are you? <laughs> oh, it's so good. So, I mean, I really love that match. And it's it's up there. I'm trying not to, to pick that as like to be too abstract. Because I hate it when people are like, you know, like, like yeah, you know, Rock and Lesnar was good. But uh, <laughs> it's really it's tag man. I don't, I don't want to be that level of hipster, you know. But uh, I really do love that match. Bretton and Mr. Perfect, uh, also a, a SummerSlam I love Madison Square Garden shows. Um, that was, that's a fantastic match. And I remember loving that as a kid. Then, like, I was trying to, you know, you try to go on, and like, 95, nothing? What, Shawn Michaels and Razor in that ladder match? Eh, not as good as the first one. You know, maybe not a fair comparison, but, you know, it just... And then Sean throws a temper tantrum when he can't get the belt down at the end of it. 94 like was like Razor and... or uh, Yeah, it was, it was Razor, Razor, and, Ke- Razor and, Diesel. And, uh, and Diesel. Yeah, because Sean was on the outside getting chased by Walter Payton. I couldn't remember yep. for a second. Then, uh, but it also had... 
had the greatest cage match in the history of wrestling, Brett and Owen. Yeah, Brett and Owen, and then juiced up Davy Boy jumping in the uh, in the ring to get off the the oh, yeah. family later. You know, so, and but the closer was that Undertaker versus Undertaker. So like, I'm trying to think that, and I think the most recent SummerSlam match that I really really love, and I'm gonna have to look it up here in a second. I, I can't, I'm pretty sure it was 2016, but it might have been 2017. Ellsworth. No, I'm just kidding. AJ Styles beating John Cena uh, because I'm a huge AJ Styles fan going back to the time in, in TNA and that was like the first match where there was like okay they really do see something in him because I was like the, I think the first real big loss that Cena had taken I think maybe earlier that year Owens had beaten him when he when he came up from NXT and that was a big shock thing but then Cena got a win back pretty quickly mm-hmm AJ got a pretty definitive win, and it started to, to launch him up. And then they had a really good match at the, I think it was the following Royal Rumble, and then Cena got his win back. But it was, it was still an awesome match. But that, that first one where AJ gets the win was absolutely incredible. Like I said, I'm going to I'm gonna have to look this up here in a second. But can, if I had to pick right now, favorite SummerSlam match of all time, I'm probably going to go with that Brett Perfect. I, I Like I said, I love that, that Rougeau's Bulldogs match, but Brett Perfect had higher stakes, you know, and, and to, to Rob's point, it was kind of the thing that, that launched him as a, as a legit single star that gave him the shot. Because I think the Piper match did a lot more for him at WrestleMania 8, but that doesn't happen without the Perfect match. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I absolutely... I, there's there's a lot from those early ones that I really really like. Honorable mention from me for Warrior Honky. I was gonna not pick that <laughs> because I because we're gonna do this next. So I'm just gonna give mine right now. Okay, that's cool. my favorite SummerSlam moment. I absolutely love that. Everything about that is perfect. I've written things about how good Howard Finkel is in that to do the whole thing, and his opponent shrugs the shoulders. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, superstar Music Billy Graham is on commentary, and he was like, "Howard Finkel, the announcer doesn't even know." And then, like, Monsoon's, like, you know, building it up. He's like, well, maybe we don't have an opponent. And then Superstar's like, well, maybe he's back. still lacing up his boots. And the camera goes on honky, and he's talking to, to somebody in the crowd, being like, oh, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. And then that's when the music hits, and the crowd just loses their mind. And then it's just, you know, devastation for 38 it's seconds awesome. or whatever it is. It's fantastic. Hey, a really good honorable mention is actually in 2000 for me, tag team title match, very first ever TLC match. So that launched... That that match launched what would end up becoming a very good pay per view franchise. That's a good point because I was thinking about that earlier in the day too. Was that I think it's TLC two at SummerSlam two thousand, right? Because the uh, triangle ladder match was no the TL the very first TLC the very was first at one. SummerSlam, yeah. Because the yep. second one was at WrestleMania seventeen, right? Right. Yeah. So I just checked it out. By the way, they, uh, Styles and Cena was twenty sixteen because that was Cena's first year in WWE. So I was I was pretty sure I just couldn't remember the timeline specifically. So, all right, I already gave my favorite SummerSlam moment is Warrior Honky. Scott, what do you have for favorite SummerSlam moments? Uh, I was thinking about this one, and aside from Liz taking off her skirt uh, at the putting a generation of us through puberty, uh, one of my favorites is actually Wait kind of underrated. Wait uh, which one was that? <laughs> which skirt takeoff? Uh, that was Mega Powers, Mega Bucks. I oh, think. oh no, you yeah, said, you yeah, said Elizabeth. Yeah, when she's just wearing like yeah. a, a swimsuit. Yeah, I know. Okay, of course, of course. And then uh, for, for me, uh, when Daniel Bryan won and Triple H pedigreed him, leading to Randy cashing in uh, and establishing the authority, 
it looked like, you know, the pay-per-view was going to end on a feel-good moment with Brian winning. And then he flipped the switch and had uh, Triple H turn on him. Kind of an underrated moment, but it's one of my favorites. What was that? that that's 2013, because that pretty much fed into him getting the moment of 2014, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, it's pretty, that's Kinda pretty good. Kind of started the whole, whole authority thing. Yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a big, I wasn't watching at that point in time. I, I kind of came on a few months later, but I could see where that would be an, an awesome moment. Just that you, it's like you finally get there and then take it away. So, and then, you know, they eventually paid it off, even though that wasn't the initial plan. Rob, favorite moment? Another Daniel Bryan moment, and it's in 2010 when he was the uh, last member of the WWF team versus the Nexus team, where at that time, remember when he got released because of whatever reason, you know, with the spitting on the mat or the use of uh, Justin Roberts' tie when they did that whole Nexus thing to start off, it was sort of like, okay, here's the guy who actually came into WWE that some of us knew. I remember I was actually at his last Ring of Honor event in Chicago Ridge. And it was like, okay, here's a guy that he's going to get a chance here in WWE. And then that quick release, and then all of a sudden we brought him back. And the pop for that was pretty good uh, for that night. Um, so that, for him to get like that second chance, in a way, for a guy who's really never done anything wrong, um, I, I just really like that because he's been a mainstay within the company now for the past 11, 10 and a half years now. That's a good call. That's one I'll probably have to go go back and watch and and see how that turned out. Because I'm I'm I've seen clips of the Triple H turn on Daniel Bryan. That that's one of I've heard mentioned, but I've never actually seen it. So that's probably something I'll have to do later tonight. Axe, are you sticking with Warrior Honky, or do you have another? Definitely, one? that's the one. That's the one I you know I think about like a, from when I was a kid, and like I just like it's so perfect. Like it's everything that's great about wrestling. Yeah. Right. I still you know? get the feeling when I watch yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Like I've shown it to like my kid before and he's just like, Oh, this guy's crazy. Like, you know, <laughs> he's getting all excited and stuff. So I actually yeah. thought you said your kid was going to be like, yeah, it's pretty good. No, no. Uh, yeah. He was, he was getting up and you know, being a five-year-old basically. That's awesome. All right. Let's move on to some visionary booking. That was good. SummerSlam talk. You know, it was, it was fun to kind of relive some of those memories without being, you know, beaten down by what the product is now. So, Axe threw this one out there. I think this is interesting. Money in the Bank, as we said, is coming up. It's the next pay-per-view. First show with fans. We talked about it a few weeks ago on the show. Actually, probably a few months ago at this point in time now. Of, do they do a, you know, a good guy gets the win and cashes in that night to get that big pop. And I had a whole idea for Drew and Nikki Cross, which is out the window now. But this is the list that... Axe Threw Over. I actually added the four guys that got added on Raw this week. So Axe Threw This Out There. Rank these Money in the Bank competitors in order of who should win. And whoever your top choice is, do a, a quick booking for how they win the match. So here's the list. Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Karrion Cross, and then these are the four that actually qualify that are actually in the match officially. Riddle, Ricochet, Johnny Drip Drip. I said four, but that's three. The fourth one's getting added next week. It'll be Orton Basker, Orton McIntyre, or somebody else. Whatever. That's the list, guys. So, Scott, you're up first. All right, I'll go from least to greatest. Uh, Johnny Driptip and Ricochet, there's no way they're winning. They're just there to do some high spots in the ladder match. Uh, Carrying Cross, 
I'd rather see him debut on Raw, like answering an open challenge from Sheamus for the U.S. title or something like that. It doesn't really fit his character to 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 debut at, at on the main roster at at the Money in the Bank. Uh, Kevin Owens would be my personal choice, but they won't do it. I think the crowd would go nuts for him on a cash in, much like when Ziggler uh, cashed in against Del Rio. Um, Zayn makes the most sense to have a heel win. It'd be great for him to be on the mic and talk trash and a whole bunch of fake cash ins. Uh, but what I'm going with as who should win it is Riddle. And what they should do is have Orton, you know, since Orton didn't qualify for the match, he lost his qualifying match. Uh, have him give him pointers all the way up to the pay per view. Have Riddle follow his advice, maybe even cheat to show that kind of transfer to the dark side and have Riddle win it. And then have Orton uh, RKO Lashley to help him uh, cash it in. And, and I think the crowd would go absolutely bonkers for it. So Riddle is my choice. First off, I'm giving a ton of points to Scott because I think it's a great answer. I think the ending is a little off. I, I like where you're going with that of, of Orton giving the pointers. Where I was hoping you would say is that Orton would then turn on Riddle to get the case. Like he gave him all those pointers and then he ends up being the one to kind of like beat him for it kind of deal. They, they brawl over the case, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of doing stuff like that. So I, I think, I think you go long, more long-term and have Riddle win it. And then Orton turns on him later and Orton goes for one more run at the title. That was my point. Like like Riddle wins the, the case and then Orton uh, turns on taking the case. Like kind of like what, uh, what Miz beat Otis in a match earlier this year. He's saying he'd have Riddle cash and then lose the, Oh, I see. Orton okay. goes after him once he has the title. I like my idea better. <laughs> but I think I think Scott's what got a it. surprise. Yeah. I think Scott's got an excellent <laughs> an excellent start. Uh, that was that's that was solid, Scott. Good points on that. Rob, what do you got? Well, I'm gonna flip flop uh, I'll go from least to worst. I'll flip flop Ricochet and Johnny Drifter from, you know, the way Scott put it, just because I think Ricochet is just absolutely useless. Uh in a you know, as a main event guy, I'm not gonna say on the roster, but as a main event guy, like I said, Johnny Drifter. Ricochet, high spots the entire time. I go with um, Riddle after that, then because I again I think he's a, a nice character, but you've done the thing with Otis once, as you mentioned. You've done this before with Damian Sandow. If you give that guy, we know he's not going to ever win the title if he cashes it because he'll never cash it in. Somebody else is going to win it from him. Um, so that's why I don't really give him that big of a chance. And it's too soon to go ahead and do the same thing like you did last year with Otis. Uh, then I'll go with uh, Kevin Owens because at this point, I don't think Kevin Owens needs the briefcase. He doesn't need the title. He's getting over just by being Kevin Owens and just that whole gimmick, giving stunners and just being, being just a really entertaining character, you know, not needing to be in the title hunt. Sami Zayn, I do like it because he would be the perfect, you know, guy, as you mentioned, fake cash in or not, but also, he it would just add to that whole, you know, the gimmick of being the conspiracy theory. Like it will, you can't take this away from me now. Like I have this. There's no way that you can, you know, back off. You know, try, try to take it away from me. If he did lose it, then you'd go back with the conspiracy theory stuff. Um, or even if he did cash in and he loses, he'd say, "Well, I never really cashed in. You guys are just trying to say that I was." But I do think that Karrion Cross is actually going to be the best option because. He deserves to be on the roster. I've mentioned this before. Once you get fans into the stadium, they want that pop for when he goes to the main roster. And if he has it, you have one full year to work with making him that main event guy. 
Plus, you have Scarlet with him, too, the pride of Sandberg High School, Orland Park, Illinois. Um, just you, you have that group together. He could always – it'd be like Edge and Lita. Edge would have it for that entire time. Is he going to cash it in now? What's going to happen? You you don't have to worry about him winning the Royal Rumble. You don't have to worry about him, you know, in building up certain um, – like to be thrown in right away in a, into main event matches. He could still work his way up with it, have that briefcase the entire time. It adds to the character itself. And then I would, you know, not have it right away, but you'd wait for that baby face to win – you know, the world title, and that's when Cross takes in is sort of like that opportunist and go in there after a, a big win or something, whether it's Elimination Chamber or like what happened with Del Rio and Ziggler with like a, an ankle injury. He cashes in there, walks out. People would be excited for that because everyone does like the character itself. Even though he's a heel, it'd actually be the best option. You have something to work with, like I said, an entire year to just build it up until he cashes it in. I think you have some good elements in there, Rob, and I, I think you you hit on something with with having the year and using that to actually establish him as a character. Where I disagree with you is saying that everybody likes him because I don't. So oh, uh, I, oh, yeah. oh. not <laughs> not not everybody. We do agree to disagree on on characters. I do I do know that. <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think a, a mass audience even really knows who Karrion Cross is, and I don't think he's really connected with the NXT audience yet. Now, it might not necessarily be completely fair to judge because he hasn't gotten enough time in front of fans. I think majority of his time has been in the pandemic era when they've done like those you know plants for the most part. But I, I think you've you've got some good elements in there, and there's there's something I will touch on, but I think Axe might actually bring it up, so I don't want to take the moment from him. So Axe, go ahead and take your swing. Um, well, I'm gonna put Cross in last. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I I, almost, I bought that for a second. <laughs> I, I was like I was like shocker. Well, let me yeah. let me start before I get into my order. The one thing that with the money in the bank that I think matters more than anything is story. You have to have something that is going to make sense or there's a reason to, to go that route. And yes, you can go on the route of like, well, we can build this guy with mm-hmm. this. But I think that where you're really going to get some mileage out of it, because I think the problem becomes sometimes when you're trying to push somebody with money in the bank, then you're just counting on, oh, they cash in and now they're going to be a star because they want a championship. And I also like the idea of sometimes money in the bank needs to lose because then you take away some of the specialness of when people win the with the money in the bank. So with that being said, um, Johnny Drip Drip, obviously at the very bottom, um, you know, that shouldn't even be in the conversation. Um, I, I think Riddle has something really good going with Orton. And I, I had him at the, at near the bottom only because I think he has a good story. So I don't think he necessarily needs it at the moment, but I actually really love what Scott said about it. I thought that was a really cool idea. Um, Next up, I have KO because I feel like he doesn't have something that will connect those dots. I mean, you could say, well, maybe Zayn becomes the champion, but I mean, with Roman there, or, you know, it'd be, they'd have to switch brands again and it'd be both of them, I feel like, for that to even happen. So that's why I wouldn't give it to KO. Um, So I've got Ricochet, Zayn, and Cross. Cross, we've talked about on the show, right? Like, I think there's some cool imagery with him and how his character is all about time. Money in the Bank is about time. Right, it's about the exact time you should cash in that briefcase and the threats and all these things you can provide. That's that's why I wanted to leave for you because like, right. So I, I thought like 
that's perfect thing to do the whole TikTok deal. Yeah, totally. And we talked about, you know, her opening up the briefcase and the hourglasses there. And that would be such a really cool imagery and a great way, honestly, for him to have his like first maybe big moment at like a particular pay-per-view or something. Maybe he didn't even show up. It's just Scarlet in the briefcase. And I, like, I would be a know. fan of that. Yeah. Um, so that basically leaves me with Ricochet and Zayn. Uh, Ricochet. Ricochet's so far up on this list. He is. And <laughs> I, I feel like, like one, he's a guy that like, I think is capable of so much more. Absolutely. I think he's actually one of their better in-ring talents if they actually did something with him. I, I almost feel like you could kind of do that that little CM Punk run when he got the briefcase. And I think the key thing is you have to have Ricochet cash it in quickly. And I would have him turn heel with the briefcase. That's that's kind of the angle I would go to. So on the second CM Punk cash in, he immediately became a bad guy kind of mm-hmm. a thing. But it was a slow burn to it, but you knew it was there and he was being nefarious and all this stuff. But my choice would be Zayn. Uh, one, I think he should lose, but I think he should like literally run out the clock on Money in the Bank. Like get to the point where people are so annoyed that he has yeah. the briefcase and he's had like 27 T's cash-ins. And I, I just think he would do so much good TV with it um, that I, I think fans would like get a kick out of it. And I think it, it would honestly elevate the heel character, his heel tendencies, the conspiracy theory stuff. I, I just think it totally fits him and what's going on. And I, I think it would be good to have a Money in the Bank winner lose. Well, they did do, well, I guess not, because like, Otis had it and then lost it, but Miz actually won it. after. I don't know, that was that whole thing sucked. Yeah, I mean, I think how, Corbin, how many Corbin might, I, Corbin might, I think, been the last one that, losed, uh, that lost. Yeah. And that was, what, two, three years ago, something like that? So they don't, you're right that they don't do it often, but I, I just think... I think it's almost a lock that that at least somebody, man or woman, cashes in that night. Mm. So you know, just to get that massive you know, Charlotte. Put, yeah. Oh no, she's rush. in a match. Yeah. Well, yeah. that was you had brought up. Not to get too far off topic here, but you had brought up speaking to acts, no pronouns. That Charlotte or Alexa Bliss, and both those made sense to me, because because like I said, my initial thought was Nikki Cross. Before this whole weird, weird thing, which I, I look, I'm going to say one thing on this uh, because I know I think Scott alluded to it earlier. You know, it, it's it's a little weird. It's a little off putting. It doesn't appear that it was a WWE idea. It appears to be hers from everything that I'm seeing on Twitter right now. I think she is a crazy, talented performer, uh, somebody that's unbelievable in everything. That, and she's made so much garbage work that WWE has already given her. I'm willing to give her the leeway on this. It was the initial rollout was a little bit off-putting. I don't necessarily like it because I don't think she needs the the superhero costume to do the inspirational gig. She was kind of already doing that anyway. But if this is something that she believes in and that and she is putting it putting in the time in and convince them to make work and I'm willing to let her see it through even if I'm not crazy about it at the start. So, like, to me, that was the initial, like, I was like, she wins. And then, oh, you could have the two Scots. And then Vince likes to do that whole shocking thing, right? So Drew just lost, can never challenge again for the championship. Well, then he wins Money in the Bank. And then Nikki beats Charlotte that night. And then Drew beats uh, Lashley. And the two Scots end up holding the championship. I thought it would have been a, a home run. The, the massive gimmick change, I think, leads me away from that. Right now, and and I don't know. By the way, the the three people from Raw that are getting a second chance are AJ Orton and McIntyre. 
So it's not even a lock. I think Drew probably doesn't even win and get into the match. And they already started playing up the fact that even if he wins, he can't challenge Lashley, which is a little stupid given the briefcase gimmick. But uh, They're going to give it to somebody outside the box, I think, because I don't think they're going to want to do anything that crazy with the title. But Well, I mean, that, not for Roman, but I think, I don't know, maybe something for Lashley. I, I, you know what? Maybe not, because I think the plan is Lashley and, and Lesnar at yep. SummerSlam. No. So, I mean, even if they do, maybe they do the turn and then they, he wins it back the next night or something like that. I don't know. It, it, it'll, it'll be bad. Whatever they do, I think it's going to be. It's going to be. So, to tell these guys real <laughs> that quick. That we're sure of. We, we have a lunch bet on Nikki Cross yeah, winning, winning Money in the Bank. And I was convinced that I'm like, there's no way she's winning. I am actually more scared she's going to win now. We, we actually flipped exactly. on this bet. Yeah. Because as soon as that happened. I think Scott text first. What did they do? But then I text you. I said, I am screwed. I am screwed on this bet. And then you saw, I think you watched it this morning. Yep. And you went, oh, actually, I'm screwed. So it's like, we're both not convinced in our in our choices. We're locked in, but we're rooting the other way. You're going to lose now. Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah. I'm like, because to me, it was I like. I think it'll they be Alexa Bliss will they, probably win it. They didn't treat her as anything special. So a gimmick change in WWE is a big deal. I mean, you can get mm-hmm. you can go very quickly, very fast with a gimmick change. So I'm telling you, if I was Ro- if I had brought, odds up on the board, cage to the thing, she, and that didn't go anywhere. She would have been fifty to one, <laughs> and now I've got her sitting about plus eight fifty. I'm very nervous now. I think she, I think it's Alexa. I think that's where they're going with that. You know, well, she Nikki Cross is doing the right thing, as I mentioned. I think before we started. You can sell action figures with her now. You can actually sell like a Halloween costume uh, that for children to dress up in. It gives her a little bit more of like, you know, that cartoony gimmick that everyone likes over at WWE. What was she before? Oh, she was the, she was the crazy girl. Now all of a sudden she has personality. That's what she needs. I mean, you can't still understand her still on the mic, but still just, just this is a great, great decision for her. She'll get that push based off of the fact that now you have fans that can will point out she's the superhero. I That's know. what they need. I and will she say can this. Fly. I will say this what about if she the gets character. Up on top of that ladder, she All right, flies. Rob, Rob, shut up now. <laughs> no, the, here's, here's the thing about here's, here's the thing about that character where I think Rob is kind of onto something a little bit, and because I, I was thinking about it all day today because this is what I do with my life, <laughs> but I was just like. You know what? It kind of like before I really found out that it was it was her deal. It part of me was like, I wonder if WWE was just like, we need somebody we can run out there for Make a Wish when Daniel Bryan can't do something, you know, like or for the Connors Cure thing. You know what I mean? Like, and their whole thing was like, hey, here's your superhero for your. Uh, I'm about to be very mean. I'm gonna pull back on that. But uh, Nikki Cross, I, I feel like is the is the person they can run out there for charity events with the superhero gimmick and and, and that kind of thing. So like, I was like, right, maybe that's it. But I mean, that's. That's not good for, you know, your creative, your character. It's good for maybe your financials for them to keep you around, but they're not going to be like, you know, like, hey, yeah, hey, you know, here's the champion of the cancer kids. In, in fairness, though, you never quite know where things might go. That's fair. You know what I mean? Well, that's, like, the, that's like, one of the reasons why I'm willing to see it out because I think she believes in it that much. Yeah. Like, like look at Too Cool yeah. as an example from the, like, late 90s. Like, they were a complete job or tag team, and then at Until one point Rikishi. they were the most, like, over thing. Yeah. Like if you guys go back and watch that, which I did, I don't know, eight months ago or something. I don't know why, but Rikishi, they did that around December of 99 was like the first time. Yep. They got, like they were doing the weird dance thing. And I think people kind of dug it, 
I don't remember. Like I remember being, uh, you know, into it when Rikishi came on, but I don't remember beforehand. But then when Rikishi started dancing, and that's when people started losing their minds. And then that was it was only a few weeks before that 2000 Royal Rumble, where they did the whole dance in the middle, and and Madison Square Garden was, you know, as as. I don't know. I'm about to. I'm trying not to use words that I never use in my life, but I was like, that place is jumping. <laughs> you know, but it's like for some reason that was the only thing that was coming through my mind at that point in time. But I mean, the place was they lied of their minds, yep. going going crazy for that. So I mean, it's a, it's a good point, and it's why I, I'm trying to say like be fair to it. I mm. think people automatically wanted to kind of crap on it, and it's one of those things where it's like just because it's different doesn't make it's bad. I I wasn't as down on the Alexa Bliss. Uh, Lily torture Shayna thing as a lot of people were. I thought they were going for a horror, a B horror movie vibe, and I thought they were pretty close to it. Am I crazy about the the idea of a doll torturing people? Not really, but I I didn't think the presentation was bad as other people. I had more of a problem, and and we'll kind of touch on this for the two that make the main event for the whole women's story between Charlotte and Rhea right now because they have them arguing like junior high cheerleaders. And I, I think that is so much worse than, you know, trying to try something different with this horror movie deal. One, one last thing about Nikki. To your point, she's very talented. And that's the other part of this of why I would say I'm scared because, like, I think she can pull something like this off. And I agree with what Rob's saying. You give her something that's different, unique. Those are, that's how you can get places in WWE. I mean, look at Daniel Bryan. His started around his beard. That's where, yeah. that's where it started. And then he grew from that. Calling him a goat and all that yeah. stuff, yeah. Well, all right, good answers on the on the money in the bank stuff. This is something I threw out to Axe when I got back from my horrendous Wyoming trip. Because I uh, this is this spent me uh, a lot of time in the hotel room just thinking about this one. But they brought Samoa Joe back, which I was a little disappointed because I had talked myself into he would be the guy to beat Kenny Omega for the Impact Championship. So now I'm like, ah, oh, I don't really care about Sammy Callahan. But Samoa Joe, the, the whole thing with Regal, him coming in as the enforcer, was awesome. One of the best things NXT's done in, in a few months. And then they set up confrontations between him, uh, Samoa Joe, Cross, Johnny Gargano, Adam Cole, Pete Dunne. They continue that on tonight's episode, and, they, they, and they're steering so hard into it that now I, I, I'm like, there's got to be a match to this. Like, I, I cannot... You cannot continuously do confrontations. It feels like a match is coming. So, to me, I think it's okay to have this like, this fun hypothetical and book this out. So, this is the challenge now is to book a story from Samoa Joe from now until the next takeover, which we're not 100% if that's after SummerSlam or not. There were some rumors that there would be a Sunday show after SummerSlam. But whatever the next takeover is, so we'll just say, in theory, three months. Book out Samoa Joe getting to a match with the following. Axe has got Pete Dunn. Rob has got Karrion Cross. Scott's got Johnny Gargano. Scott, you're up first. For me, uh, I, I think you can use what they started tonight. Uh, Gargano faced off with Pete Dunn talking about being the number one contender. So I think you have a match between Gargano and Dunn uh, for that number one contender match. Have Pete Dunn win it. Uh, and Gargano gets screwed over somehow, whether it's interference from Lork, uh, Oni Larkin, uh, ref bump, ref makes a mistake, and he you know had his foot on the rope or something like that, and then having storm into Regal's office and accidentally bump uh, Joe, Joe chokes him out, and that leads to the feud, and then you can kind of go back and forth, and then eventually lead to the match. 
I think it's pretty simple, and they they started on the path tonight. So I think that's how you go with Gargano. I like the idea. Rob, you're up. I think the easiest one really is carrying cross for this because you saw the way it started last week when you brought Joe back and you brought him back when carrying cross was in the ring with Scarlett in the whole situation where, you know, Joe can't do anything to you unless he gets touched. So cross can do very much similar to a Vince, uh, Mr. McMahon and you have uh, Joe at Steve Austin or even when Steve Austin was the uh, sheriff of Raw and you get Eric Bischoff. You can play this the entire time where there's just always those different conversations. And Cross is just going to get onto him a little bit every time. Get on to Joe. It is getting to a certain point. Is he going to hit him? No, he's not. He's going to just, you know, jump into it. And Cross can just antagonize it the entire time because he's, you know, just one of the better wrestlers they have out there to just, you know, just to be an antagonist the entire time. It's just going to get to the point, similar to like Scott was saying too, it may end up being something where, oh, someone pushes Terry and Cross into Joe, and he takes that as, oh, I, I've been, you know, provoked. And then Joe gets uh, this opportunity to beat up on Cross, and then that sets up a match where all of a sudden, you know, there is no uh, holdback for Joe that he has to wait for someone to provoke him. It's just a match the entire time. They've done this before. I think it's an actually very good storyline to go with. It's just, you know, how are you going to get to that point with it? And like I said, I don't think Cross is ever going to actually by himself hit uh, Mojo. He's going to be kind of knocked into it, and that's just going to set it off for a potential takeover main event. Eh, I'm not as uh, I'm not as thrilled with your answer on that one, Rob. Yeah. I think yeah, I think you I think you fumbled the ball a little bit. You've been having a strong showing, but you know what? Not yeah. everybody. You know, no one goes, you know, four for four all the time. You know, I'm so. running out of breath here. I've been talking a lot. I'm running out of breath. <laughs> yeah. You can shorten up your answers. That's fine. <laughs> no, I, I, with the carrying and cross angle to it, what I kind of like the idea of them going back and forth, kind of having like these pissing matches, then cross maybe does something. Maybe he has a scarlet slap Joe, right? And then Joe can't do anything because it's scarlet. They're not going to let him attack a carrying cross or something like that. Maybe Regal makes some kind of decree the next time he does something. And then I think Joe maybe kind of antagonizes cross into doing the, the uh, provocation, I think would be an interesting way to go around that. So that, I think that'd be a fun Joe way to get to Joe cross. Cause then it gets to play up Joe's mastermind abilities a little bit going head to head with cross acts. So I felt like I have the hardest one um, just because like, Dunn's kind of, I think, at the moment, like a peg below the guys on this list. Um, and and I had kind of some similar stuff worked into what these guys have already mentioned. So um, I think the, the main thing is is that you you have to set up something where, not to be Sami Zayn-ish, but something is against Pete Dunn, right? Can't get a one-on-one match with the champion, seems like, ever since, you know, the um, since he had the McAfee crew. Seems like he just... He can't get over that hump. He's always in a three-way or four-way or five-way. And it's just like, you know, when am I going to get my shot? Because no one can out-wrestle me. And so I think that's kind of where you go with the focus is that, you know, Pete Dunn's trying to get, like, he's like, I don't care which one of you give me. I want a number one contenders match. And then they're like, well, we have this log jam at the top and Gargano's involved and Cole or whatever. And each time in these various number one contender matches over the next two months, let's say, you have like a clear victory for Pete Dunn, but something happens. And the first time is 
say it's him and O'Reilly and Cole in a three-way for the number one contender. Cole like hits uh, Riley with a chair and he from the outside, and then you have Joe come down there to wreck havoc because you know obviously can't be doing that, and um, he's got he's got Kyle O'Reilly choked out in the corner. Meanwhile, like Samoa Joe comes down or Cross comes down to attack Samoa Joe, so it's like this total total fiasco on the outside to where the refs even outside the ring. Meanwhile, like O'Reilly's passed out, and Dunn has to get up and he's flipping out and saying like this is ridiculous, and he just leaves. He just walks out, and then he comes back again and he says, "I demand a number one title match." And then he and then that's when Joe jumps in and is like, "You don't demand anything around here." And then he's like, if I have to go through you, I will. And then eventually what you do is at TakeOver, it's Dunn versus Joe in a submission match. Oh, I like it. I like the fact that he added a stipulation to that too. I think that'd be a fun way to get there. I mean, they did. So they teased tonight. They teased more of Cole Regal, which I got to tell you, I'm really fired up for. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what Regal's health status is. So I'm not 100% if, if he can, if he's cleared to go or, or what the deal is. But I, I think there's, I mean, very fun possibility to a to Cole-Regal match. And, and Cole is so talented that even if Regal is limited, I think he could kind of work around that. And Regal's smart enough to work around that as well. So I think they could do some good stuff there. But they, you know, Regal told Cole tonight, he goes, it's over between you and Joe. And then Cole's like, oh, is it? Right? Like, so it's great, great stuff from Cole there. They had another standoff between Joe and Dunn, which I think was right after he had another standoff with Cross. Like, they were in the hallway in the back, and then Cross said yep, something. Yeah, that's how it went. Okay. Yeah, Cross said something to him about, like, is this how it's going to go or something like that? And then Joe just like, hey. I tell you something, man. I missed Samoa Joe as a performer so much because, like, he just has such a great delivery of just, by all means, champ. Like, it's just, he <laughs> yeah. gets so much out of those lines. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. So, I, I, I think... I mean, there's so much potential to each one of those. And I think you guys did a great job across the board as far as setting up. Rob did not so much. You know, Rob, <laughs> but again, Rob's had a strong show for the most part. He started ah. he started before the show went on the air, so he just didn't pace himself. He's, a, he's British bulldogging himself right now. <laughs> I, 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 I will give WWE and mainly Triple H a ton of credit to bring Samoa Joe back after releasing him. You know, you don't ever see this ever from WWE and then they realize hey he's more valuable to us because the fan base is just totally behind him he can do anything and everything and once that music hits and the Joe chant starts like you, you need that reaction because especially when you have fans start coming back he was to go to AEW he was to go to you know Impact or wherever else the NWA he'd get that reaction he would initially he would immediately become the most popular wrestler there, which whichever company it would be, you WWE did a great job. Like I said, mainly Triple H for realizing that and knowing right away and bringing him back. Granted, were they worried? Oh, he hasn't wrestled. He's just been doing commentary. We got to just restructure the contract in a, in a way. But they they saw the uh, the mistake they made. I'm not going to say they. I think Triple H recognized the the talent that he had because I think Triple H is a guy that kind of oh, fought to get him in. You know, I, I think Triple H is, has really struggled in the pandemic era with limited fans. It's something I said tonight on Twitter. Again, you can follow me at I am Reynolds twenty three zero five. Is they they badly need show uh, live fans back, like real fans back for NXT. I'm a little bit surprised they haven't gone that route already. It, it, that's got to be a call from the top, and I'm sure it's something where where Vince is like, not until we do SummerSlam or something like that. Doesn't want to risk it for a smaller show. I, I would it, think. 
I don't even know if it's essentially a risk. I think now at this point in time, as everything is is pretty close to open up fully, I, I think it just comes back to main roster comes first. I think it's one of those deals. So it's not even like where we can use NXT as a, as a guinea pig run. I think he wants to say, you know, SummerSlam was the, the start of it all. Well, I, I guess Money in the Bank is the start of it all for when they're bringing back fans for, for arena shows. But Triple H was somebody, I think, that went off off the live reaction of the crowds. And without that, he's de- he's reverted back to a lot of Vince stuff. And I think they are so confused with the with what their roster is right now that they don't know where everybody fits in. And I, I think there's a lot of stuff that they're, they're losing track of. You want to say something, Max? No, All I'm right. good. All right, it's time to cut somebody. This is uh, the hardest part of my job, but it's what I agreed to when I when I signed up for this gig. <laughs> it's in the contract. Rob's had a, had a strong show, but he's you know he's, he's fading late. Did he do enough? I don't know. Scott's had a, a pretty good show. It's uh, very concise. There's the the budding rivalry between him and and Rob, which is fun. Axe has been really coming on late when he got to the visionary booking. It's where he really excels, so it's it, it's a tough choice. But I, I think I think we're going Brett Sean here. <laughs> I think Rob Rob's done enough to hold on, and I think Scott's right there with him. So I I think we got to see a '97 Survivor Series right here. Fair enough. I I will have to start taking more shots at these clowns. <laughs> I, <laughs> there it is. All right, so let's move on. Let's move on to the main the event. Is the best. We're going to have the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be against some degenerate. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you got that in. All right, main event time here, guys. Quick answers as we run down on this show. First up, best idea. There's a bunch of rumors out of WWE bringing back shows. Of this list I'm about to give you, what is the best idea for WWE to bring back? King of the Ring, Cyber Sunday, Cyber Tuesday, which I think is what it started as, right? Raw Old School, Raw Roulette. You need a legitimate reason for your pick, so no joke answers here. Rob, you're up first. Just want to correct you with Taboo Tuesday, not uh, Cyber Tuesday. Got to go with Old School Raw. It's the one that always draws the biggest ratings because everyone, regardless of their age, you could be in your 60s now, you want to go and see Hulk Hogan and any of the other wrestlers that you remember from the 80s being out there. Problem is, is that we're seeing way too many of these wrestlers uh, join Jesus and God. Um, so what you're going to start getting is more of the guys from the mid to late nineties and whoever else that they can pull out who also is not working with uh, any of the other companies. Um, all the other ones are not good ideas because King of the ring, we just saw back on last Friday with Nakamura son becoming the King of WWE. You're not even doing a legit tournament anymore. You're just going to pass it around similar to like when macho man beat, um, uh, Jim Duggan yeah. for it. That's uh, cyber Sunday, taboo Tuesday. Uh, no, it's it's not going to do anything because everyone knows that those are very predetermined in advance. You're just in Raw Roulette. Nobody really understood. It only was good when it was in Las Vegas because they made a big deal like, oh, it's you spin the wheel. You're just going to be like at the roulette table. So it, it, that's a, a one type uh, environment to do that in. That's why I, I always go with old school Raw. They bring back the old graphics. They do a lot of the old um, scenery. It makes it look just back the way it did in in, uh, in the 90s. So, for me, it's Raw Roulette. Excuse me, CLO. It's uh, Old School Raw. I'm giving credit to to Rob for correcting me on the, the Zabu Tuesday. Good balls right there. I, I appreciate that to make sure the facts are correct. Then you started rambling a little bit. So, you're, you're, you're back down to uh, to a zero here. So, what's, oh, 
Let's see if Scott can take advantage. Scott, the play is yours. For me, it's King of the Ring. I, I love the one-day tournament. I think they should go back to the pay-per-view. You can have your qualifying matches on Raw or SmackDown, whatever, uh, even NXT if you want to bring in someone. But I'd like to you know, go back to the pay-per-view, have it uh, an eight-man or 16-man if you want to do uh, a bit longer, but have the one pay-per-view tournament. You can have quality matches. It's usually a good event. You have the workers work, uh, have a heel win and carry it for months. Uh, you know, you get the story out of the King of the Ring. For me, that that brings back uh, old school memories like that Bret Hart uh, and per- Mr. Perfect match. I think it's King of the Ring. All right, tell you what, Scott nailed the right answer right there. And and he hit on a key part of it too. So, boy, big advantage right, right off the bat for Scott. He's he's <laughs> he's taking advantage of Brett here. I think uh, that's a that's a that's a setup. You're talking about King of the Ring I when think, you discontinue an entire pay per view because the concept sucks. I think I think Hebner's in the back right now. <laughs> he's telling Brett it's okay. No, it's it, <laughs> it's King of, it's King of the Ring. But the the key point that Scott touched on right there, number one, if you're doing a, a one night tournament show as as far as a pay per view, that's way more exciting. But you also get the qualifying matches, which adds something to watch on both Raw and SmackDown. So you're adding matches with stakes. It actually is what helped, even though I thought it was trash for the most part, I, I, really horrendous this week, the matches had stakes for those Money in the Bank qualifiers. So it added something to them, even if I thought they did upsets for the sake of upsets. So you get more out of the, the regular TV show, and then you get a great one-night event now, will they stick to it for long term? No, they haven't shown they do that, but that's not that's not what the question is. What's the cool idea to bring back? Right? And then you had Nakamura beat Corbin to be the one true king. And then if you go to do the the tournament, then somebody can actually win it in a tournament. And then you get, you know, maybe you get the next King Booker or whatever. It's like somebody that turns the the king gimmick into something, which could be Shinsuke for all we know at this point in time. Because he's made it a lot of fun to watch him just getting the crown on. And it's been kind of fun to watch Rick. I, sometimes I just walk around the house doing that. I just like the way he said his name. He's like, my name is Rick Boogs. <laughs> like he just, he hits it so hard. <laughs> All right. So Scott's out to a, a big advantage for team HBK. Next up, this is actually kind of in, in Rob's wheelhouse here. He's Mr. AEW on this show. I thought this was an interesting call. They're going to run New York City, the New York City market, actually going to be Queens and do Arthur Ashe Stadium where they host the U.S. Open for tennis when AEW does their their show there in uh, September. I think it's September 22nd, which I believe is the date of the greatest Raw of all time, where the debut of Cactus Jack and the first stunner on Mr. McMahon happened, which was at Madison Square Garden. Good move or bad move? Rob, you're up first. Well, I, I would like to defer to Scott as I'll let him try this one and then I will go and school him and let him know why it's such a good idea. All right, you know what? I'm going to allow this because the second part of that is he said, I'm going to school him and let him know why it is a good idea. So he stated his case. I was about to rip you for, for deferring, but you stated your case and then you're calling your shot here. So it's a ballsy move. I'm going to respect it. Scott, go ahead. I actually do think it's a good move. Uh, it's a big venue. It can be outdoors if the weather's nice. You know, September it probably should be. But if it does rain, they can close the roof uh, and make even more noise. Uh, they can come into WWE's backyard, sell out a big venue. 
they should pull out some surprises, uh, maybe even debut some former WWE talent that got released uh, and get a good rating. Uh, and they can show Vince and that fans in their home arena are fed up with all the BS that's been on their TV every Monday and Friday, uh, aside from the Roman Reigns angle, uh, and show that there's some real competition. I think it's a good idea for them. It's a good answer. All right, Rob, you called your shot. You're, you're putting a lot of eggs into this basket. Go for it. Yeah, number one thing that it's going to be good, and Scott mentioned this, being in that stadium alone. There's a 23,000-seat stadium. So if, you, if you're AEW, you know you're not going to be able to fill up TIAA Bank Stadium right now and try to be what WWE is. They're going to show that they can compete as a legit company but and sell out what is considered a big stadium. It's big for tennis. 23,000 people will sit there. They're not trying to go and say we're competing with WWE right now. And as Scott said, you can bring out former WWE talent. There really is no, quote, New York market anymore for WWE. New Japan has ran Madison Square Garden. Everyone else, there have been other companies that have ran Madison Square Garden. WWE doesn't go there anymore. They go to Barclays Center. So they've tried to make Brooklyn their little area now. If you're in Queens, you go in there, you just take as much as possible. Plus, it's in New York. That everyone goes to New York. There's nothing that says it's just the New York people that will be there. And it's right before the U.S. Open as well, because that's always uh, right around uh, week one of the NFL season. So you have that in there. You're going to be able to uh, broadcast, oh, we have different tennis players out there, or we have just the different fan bases that it could bring in over as well. So it's a great, great decision by AEW. It's not going anywhere out of their element itself. You're just going to be expanding onto it and having at least a 23,000 seat sellout is going to look a whole lot better than saying, Hey, we sold 23,000 tickets in an 80,000 seat stadium, like MetLife stadium. All right. You had some good stuff in there. You also said 23,000, like three times, which is like, I know it's important. (laughs) It's important. Do you know why? No, it's important. You know, it is because when you are in a basketball arena or you're in some of these like Dickies arena where, uh, WWE is going to run money in the bank. You're only getting 14, 15,000 people in there. So if you expand on it and you make it look bigger and you have that larger crowd, it's going to just be a more awe inspiring, especially when you have Dave Meltzer reported in the observer. Jesus. Dave Meltzer shout out. Yeah. Screw Dave Meltzer. I don't know how people listen to that guy. He's terrible. He's got good information because he's been plugged in for so long, but he is terrible to listen to. And then the Alvarez guy, I think, just shouts for the sake of shouting. He's a little bit like uh, Robin that he goes, loves AEW so much. Here's the thing about the 23,000. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot down on you right now. They're not putting 23,000 in there. You want to know why they ha- when they go to Chicago, they keep running the Sears Center so many times? Because they're not Dude. big enough to do, to, you know, to do whatever. What's the big arena that's in, in Chicago? What, what do they call it? Is it Dude, still United Dude. Center? What the hell is that? Do you really want? Do you no? Do you really want to know the reason why they can't run any of the arenas? Because a, it's too expensive because of unions to actually run Wintrust Arena or the United Center in the city of Chicago. Uh, you go into Rosemont. That's where WWE. They have an exclusive contract with what is the Allstate Arena, formerly Rosemont Horizon. You're in my backyard. You're splitting all this stuff. You go to the cheapest one that you can find, and that's the Sears Center. That's the only other option out there if you wanted to run the Chicago Land area. Look, that's fine. That's good information. I'm going to give you credit on that. But I'm just saying they've had, they've had opportunities to go uh, elsewhere. I think Washington D.C. was like somewhere around fifteen thousand, thirteen thousand when they did the first dynamite. They're not set up. They're not putting twenty three thousand people in those seats, even if they paper paper the room. I think they'll draw well, 
because I think there's a, a, a lot of excitement around AEW. I think they'll promote like around the area and let people know like, hey, there's a new exciting wrestling show around. I think they'll send Moxley out there to get the some of the WWEs that maybe aren't aware of AEW, like or the the, the holdouts, I guess I'll call them. So, Axe, what jump in here? This could be a really good Chubbs moment for the show. If you know Chubbs from uh, Happy Gilmore, where somebody here might have to go. You were right. I was wrong. <laughs> You're attractive. I'm not. <laughs> You're smart. I'm stupid. <laughs> that's good. That's that's a good addition right there. And like, no, I I just don't think the the attendance, the twenty three thousand aspect. I think it's a great call to run this venue. It's different. In the history of WWE, they never went there. They never thought about it, right? So it's great. It's a, it's a fresh perspective. I think it will look cool. I think they'll have a, a good setup for it. I think they will put a decent crowd in there. So I think there's so many good reasons to do this, to make it fresh and make it your own going into that market. And I think it was Rob that said it, that there really is no New York market. There's no home field advantage. They run Barclays more and more. So all this around to get to, Rob gets the point. Like, he, he, he tried to talk himself out of it at some points, <laughs> but he eventually got there. Last one. This is for all the marbles here, guys. Who did WWE hurt more in their first... I'm going to amend this to say the first three months because I can't remember when Keith Lee stopped coming on television. But in the first three months after their rollout, who did WWE hurt more? Keith Lee or Rhea Ripley? Keith Lee came on after uh, SummerSlam last year. It was the big announcement. So that puts him around November... For his first three months. Rhea, I'm counting the right before WrestleMania. Not the time she was in the Royal Rumble. Like when she actually came out and challenged Asuka. And that takes us up to present times. So who did WWE hurt more in their first three months of being on the Raw roster? Rob, you're up. I got to go with Rhea Ripley. Uh, we go back to last year at WrestleMania. You know, that match that it kicked off with Charlotte. Everyone was, if you didn't know who Rhea Ripley was, you were kind of you know, rallying around her and thought, okay, she's going to be a good addition to it. I think it just totally dropped the ball with her. Keith Lee is someone where, you know, we talked about him before. I like him, but I know James doesn't like him. I don't think there's that uh, swell support for Keith Lee as someone that, you know, he could be the guy that we put the uh, rocket onto and just, you know, he's going to the moon. He's going to be the guy that, you know, we can rally around with the company. Rhea Ripley, there was something. She, she was, like, just original. Her look. Being from Australia, it, uh, it's a, just a big, you know, big difference. Like, she just had some, like, some aura about her when she walked out. It's just like, whoa, who is she? Keith Lee, I, I didn't really see that for. And what they've done so far, Rhea Ripley, it's just been kind of, eh. All right, good answer, strong answer. Scott, what do you got? Yeah, I agree. It's close, but it is Ripley. Um, she was such a badass in NXT. Uh, and now she just looks defeated. You can tell she doesn't like what, what's being written for her. There's no heart behind her words. Uh, the story with Charlotte is, is just not good. Like you said before, they're arguing like teenage girls. It, it's not making her look any better, even though facing someone like Charlotte should make her a star. It's not. It's making her look awful and weak. Uh, Lee's been out, and when he comes back, I think the fans will embrace him again. He's a big guy who can do a lot of things that big guys can't do. That's not going to change. So I, I don't think they've ruined him it, despite how bad, you know, his time on Raw really was. So it is Ripley because she she's just not, you know, she's half of what she was in NXT, if that. She's not a badass anymore. She's weak. 
and this story is just doing nothing for her. So the answer is Ripley. That's the correct answer, and I will tell you what, Scott took it right there. At the very end, I was actually going to, I was leaning towards Rob. He had the sharpshooter on, and then, <laughs> and then Scott reversed it, and now Vince McMahon's running down there. Does, does say, ring the bell. Yeah, ring the bell. Ring the bell. No, I, I think you, I think you hit on it very well. There is that it's they've made Rhea look weak. There's nothing redeeming about her, even though they changed Keith Lee's music and they changed his ring gear and they they did all this stuff. They at least allowed him to beat Randy Orton, right, in a pretty significant way in his first pay per view match. They had him in the World Championship scene as Drew McIntyre's friend for a little bit. What what do you? Is that she's the she's the champ, but it was like she walked out and said, <laughs> she walked out and said, "I'm gonna need an answer, Oscar." Right? It was the, the lamest, the lamest challenge because Charlotte wasn't available. Right, and then since then she's it's like they flipped alignments with her like three different times. She's heel. She's uh, she's now she's a good uh, she's a good person. Like, and then the weak disqualification at Hell in a Cell where she flipped the the cowl to the desk back and they 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 rang the bell on that. It was like, what are you doing? Like, that helps. And then on top of that, to make it so bad, she was like, I did what you would have done, Charlotte. Like, like that's a point of pride that she got disqualified to save the championship. It She looks like a moron, you know, and not even like a, uh, not even like a noble one. Right? Like, she just looks like an idiot that's like, how come you, like, me and my sister, when I was growing up, my sister would get mad, like, how come Reynolds is, that's what my sister would call me, Reynolds. How come Reynolds is allowed to do that and I'm not? Like, yeah, when you're eight years old, that's how siblings fight. That's what Rhea's doing now. How come Charlotte's allowed to cheat and I'm not? That's not what I want to see on TV. That's not something worth rooting for. Like, it's horrendous, and I don't think that she has... The clout, I, I know she doesn't have the clout to, to say no or to rework something. So she's just trying it and they tell her, you know, you know, there's some there's probably some idiot like Doc Hendricks, Michael PS Hayes back there being like, I can make anything work, blah, 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 blah. And then she's like, I'm gonna try. I'll try to make it work. And then it's, she just doesn't have the skills to make it happen. They have not set her up in any way to be successful. And and I think Scott was the one who made the point. Keith Lee has the the athleticism and and the the wow factor with him. Rhea in NXT had the aura, which was something that Rob said. She was a complete badass, but this whiny tween thing is is making people hate her, you know, and and not in a good way. Just the I don't want her on my screen at all. So that's where we're at there. Time to cut a promo, Scott. Make me proud. All right. Well, we all know that Raw and basically all WWE outside of Roman has been trash for a while now, and there have been many reasons. But uh, one of the most disturbing trends that has tried my patience as a fan is the distraction victory. Somebody's music hits, somebody yells from ringside, and the person gets beat. It ha- it's happening once or twice on every single show. It's lazy writing, and it's a microcosm of how bad the shows have been lately. So, WWE, I'm calling you out. Stop it. Stop it now. You get back to being somewhat respectable. I like it. I like the fact that he's chiding WWE as if they listen to this show. <laughs> and he's doing he's doing it as if WWE's eight, which I think is what their writing staff is. <laughs> aim, aim high. Yeah, stop speaking, it. You stop it right speaking now. Speaking in their language. Yeah. If you're going to speak in their language, you got to have to be like, you know, we're like, you're humiliating me and embarrassing me, <laughs> and I have complete disdain for whatever you do. 
the same three words they run into the show 90,000 90, times. And work in the person's name eight times. Also. Oh, can't stand it. That's a, that's a solid promo to end it. I, I will, I'm going to do this to appease Rob a little bit here, the, the massive Bret Hart fan. I believe he's the one who brought up the 95 Survivor Series with uh, Diesel, the no disqualification yep. match, which is awesome. One of my favorite Bret Hart matches of all time. On the point that Scott was making on roll-up finishes, and this happened with the roll-up finish in the Drew McIntyre-Lashley Hell in a Cell match, and people were upset about it. And then there's other people being like, you know, like, oh, it's you know, it's a roll of finish. It's a wrestling move won the match. First off, shut up. Stop trying to be the smart guy to sit back and be like, oh, yeah, it was a wrestling move. How come you're upset about a wrestling move? It's about the story. That's what, if the moves matter. And if you're big guys doing power moves the entire match inside Hell in a Cell and then you end it with your lazy distraction finish that you do every Monday... And then on top of that, have your big power guy do a cheap roll-up. It sucks. When Bret Hart beat Diesel with a small package at the 1995 Survivor Series, it was awesome because Bret Hart was destroyed. He just went through a table. He was limp as Diesel was trying to put him in a, in the jackknife. And then Diesel was kind of relishing in the moment. Surprise roll-up. The technical wrestler used his wits to outwit the big power guy. That's an awesome story beat. That's not what Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley was. It was trash, you're bad for it, and you should be ashamed of yourselves. And to quote the winner of tonight's show, Scott, stop it. You stop it right now. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, can I just have one, one quick statement um, regarding the NWA? <laughs> you have 30 <laughs> seconds to get your NWA mentioned. Rob's NWA corner. Here we go. So yesterday, Billy Corgan made a great announcement that the NWA is going to be doing wrestling at the chase again in St. Louis. Anybody who knows, for 50 years, Sam Mushnick ran this. It's one of the greatest things in the history of professional wrestling, and it's good to see that Billy Corgan is bringing this back. It's going to be just a great nostalgia factor, uh, bringing something that you've only heard about. You can't even see, really see a lot of this because it ended back in 1983. So thank you, Billy Corgan, for having the tradition and the mindset. To That's, allow time. Us That's to time. That's time. That's your 30 Sorry. seconds. Bring, bring your grandpas. <laughs> I'll appreciate it. <laughs> this show, This show has been maybe our most chaotic yet. I think we need Samoa Joe in Love here it. to kind of like... To get some order. <laughs> Maintain order. Yeah. And Deanna Perazzo versus Mickey James. Let's see it. I, I can get behind that. That's awesome. I, I, I'm, I'm going to end the show right here with it on this note because I just it made me laugh. Thunder Rosa put out a tweet. of She's like, there's a, a couple people I haven't faced yet in, in pro wrestling. Who would you like to see me face? I can't remember who some of the other names were, but Deanna Perazzo. I think Rosemary was also on the list. You know, so a couple of impact. But Britt Baker tweeted back at her. She's like, Deanna Perrazzo, so she could kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Britt Baker, DMD, the one true star of AEW. All right, that's going to be the show. It was uh, a lot of fun, a little bit chaotic, but you know, you're know, you listening to three to four people that just love pro wrestling and busting each other's balls. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. Scott, go out and give your Twitter handle. It's Scott, S-D-O-T, M as in Matthew, B as in boy, O-K-E-N. There you go, the Boken one. Would you call him Bokenhagen earlier? Bokenhagen, yeah. All right, Rob, go out and give your Twitter handle. 
It is R O double B ha T A T K A. There you go, Mister N W A himself. <laughs> Axe, give the show handle at Shoot Pod Press. There you go. You can follow me on Twitter at I am Reynolds twenty three oh five. That's a three count. We got to make the next town. See ya.